You know, there's some pretty ridiculous rules or laws out there today. Did you, know, did you know it's illegal in Australia, or actually in Victoria, to change a light bulb unless you're an electrician? Apparently, it's a $10 fine per light bulb that you change without being an electrician. Yeah, it seems pretty ridiculous, yeah? But Australia doesn't even have the most ridiculous laws. All right, I'm going to give you my much-researched top four most ridiculous laws of all time across the world. Yeah, the top four. Brace yourself. Did you know that in Switzerland, it's illegal to flush the toilet after 10pm if you live in an apartment building? Apparently, it's got something to do with noise pollution. But imagine waking up to go to the toilet in the middle of the night only to find someone else's business there in the bowl. It'd be like this guy. <laughs> All right, here's my favourite three though, yeah? That's just a start. The law in Milan says people must smile at all times. Or else they'll receive a fine, yeah? Be, be like that guy. Must smile at all times unless they'll, or they'll receive a fine. I don't know, I've never been to Milan, so I don't know whether they enforce it. But imagine walking down the street and just seeing like a thousand of that guy. Or in Canada, yeah? What about Canada? In Canada, by law, every five songs played on the radio, one of those five has to be sung by a Canadian. Yeah? I wonder who's going to benefit most from that law. <laughs> Probably that guy. All right, but if you thought those laws were ridiculous, yeah? Here's my final most ridiculous law from around the world. After much research, number one, in Florida... It's illegal to fart in public after 6pm on a Thursday. <laughs> it's crazy. Jim Carrey would not survive. There we go. For those who've seen Lila. All right. But as we, read, or as we read tonight's passage in Mark 7, you may well have been thinking, what the heck is this about? Yeah? These guys, the Pharisees, seem to have so many laws and rules which just seem absolutely pointless. And if that's what you thought tonight when you read the passage, then you're probably thinking exactly what Mark, the writer of this book, wanted you to think. See, in Mark chapter 7, Mark records the episode where Jesus comes up against the Pharisees and he challenges them or confronts them about their fake, false and superficial religion. The religion which is based on rules and regulations that in, instead of helping them relate to God are completely distracting them from knowing God at all. You see, Mark chapter 7 is like a boxing match and it is Jesus versus religion. It's Jesus up against the Pharisees' religion, which is based on this bunch of rules or regulations that they've completely made up. And so what we're going to find out as we read Mark chapter 7 is that Jesus slammed the Pharisees' religion for being two things. Firstly, superficial, and secondly, man-made. All right, so let's get into Mark chapter 7. But before we dig into the passage, we'll, we'll get a bit of context to what's going on, some background. I reckon there's two things that we need to understand before we can really dig into this chapter and understand it properly. Firstly, who were these Pharisee guys? Yeah? Who were they? The Pharisees were pretty much this group of guys 
um, who sort of formed a religious party. Yeah? The group was made up of scholars or people who studied God's law and priests, and they were seen by the everyday folk as sort of like the models of religion. If someone was to come up to you and ask, oh, who's the most religious guy you know? You'd say, oh, Phil the Pharisee over there. He is really religious. And he'd probably look a bit like this guy. Yeah, the most religious guy you know. That's Phil the Pharisee. You know, if you'd be looking around and he'd be always praying. He'd be praying constantly. Yeah, and if he wasn't praying, he'd have his head stuck in the Bible you see, the Pharisees were the real religious dudes. But the second thing we need to understand to, to be able to dig into this passage further is what were these traditions that are keeping on being mentioned, these traditions of the elders? Yeah, as we've read through, these traditions are actually mentioned six times in the passage, um, which gives us a fair indication that it's fairly important for us to understand what they are. Take a look at verse 3. The Pharisees and all the Jews, by washing their hands, were holding to the tradition of the elders. In verse 4, they observed many other traditions. Verse 5, the Pharisees asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to these traditions of the elders? And go down to verse 8 and 9. They had let go or set aside the commands of God and were clinging to human traditions. And then finally, down in verse 13, they had nullified or made of no use the word of God by the tradition that they had handed down. You see where Jesus' criticism of these guys is? His problem is with the tradition of the elders. So what were these traditions? Simply put, they were a set of rules or regulations that had grown up around the law of God or the commands of God which we actually find in the first five books of the Bible, um, or the, the Jew, what they call Hebrew word for Torah, the first five books of the Bible where they f- you find all the laws of God. Um, God had given his law or commands to this guy Moses, who then through Moses he'd given it, the law to his people, the Israelites. But as time went by, those who were meant to sort of be the keepers of the law, or the ones who were t- taking care of the law and teaching it to the people, Um, they'd begin to add to the law their own interpretations, misinterpretations, to help them actually define what it was. It was pretty vague, some of this stuff. For example, in the law, the Israelites were supposed to um, rest on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was just the seventh day of the week, so like a Saturday, they're supposed to rest on Saturdays. But they start to ask, what does it actually mean to rest on Saturday? How do we define rest? Yeah? And so the answer of the tradition of the elders was to make up a heap of bunch of rules and regulations that actually told them what rest was. So they could be like, okay, I can walk down to my letterbox to pick up the mail on Saturday. Not that you actually get mail delivered on Saturday. But I can't go out. If I go and start to go for a jog, then that's exercise. That's like work. That's the sort of stuff they'd do. They'd make up these rules to help them define what the law was and wasn't. Another example is actually right here in the passage. If you have a look at verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. And what's that about? Is this some kind of extreme OCD behaviour? I don't know about you, but I'm a bit like that. If I go to Macca's and get 
get a meal, I have to go to the bathroom first and wash my hands before I go and order. I'm a bit OCD with a lot of things. I remember as a kid growing up, I'd, um, I'd have to do the murderer check before I went to bed. I don't know if any of you have done the murderer check. If you haven't, you're taking a big risk. But, <laughs> but I used to have to go, like, before I go to bed, I'd be freaking out. Is there a murderer in my room? I'd look in the cupboard. No, he's not there. I'd look, like, under my bed. No, he's not there. In my, like, bedside drawers, he's not there. <laughs> don't know what it would have done if I'd found him, but... But anyway, this hand-washing that they were doing wasn't some kind of OCD behaviour. No, it's actually, they saw it as a way for them to be made holy or made clean before God. But you see, the problem was they weren't actually told to do it anywhere in the law. The only people who were told to wash their hands were the priests on the odd occasion. But the average Joe Bloggs didn't have to worry about it. And so they'd come up with this tradition that eventually became a pretty big ordeal. Have a look in the rest of verse 4 there. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. It was getting pretty out of control. Anything that would touch food, they'd be starting to wash so that they'd be clean before God. Not only would they be given, you know, if they lived today, they'd probably not only give their plates and, and cups and knives and forks a wash, but they'd be given their fridges and freezers a good scrub too. Anything that touched food. So, and so that's sort of what these traditions of the elders were. Yeah, they were a set of rules that grew up around the law that weren't in the law but helped the Pharisees and the people define what the law was and wasn't. But now as we work through this passage properly, um, we're going to see in more detail what, what it was about these traditions that Jesus slammed the Pharisees about. Yeah? What it was about the Pharisees' religion that Jesus slammed. And the two main things, as we said before, is that Jesus slammed the Pharisees' religion for being superficial. I think we've got them coming up on the screen. For being superficial and for being man-made. So let's look at the first one. Jesus slammed religion that was superficial. Take a look at verse 6. The Pharisees ask Jesus why his disciples don't follow this tradition of the elders of washing their hands. And Jesus replies in verse 6, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Now Isaiah was this prophet who lived back in the Old Testament um, who was sent from God with a message to give to God's people. But Isaiah didn't actually prophesy to these people here, the Pharisees here. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, look, when I read Isaiah, when I get out my Bible and read Isaiah, I just see you hypocrites, you people, the Pharisees. He says, and he goes on in verse 6 to describe, or this quote from Isaiah to describe the Pharisees. He says, these people honour me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. You see what Jesus is pointing out in this quote? He's saying that that their religion is skin deep and superficial. Isn't that what he's saying? These people honour me with their lips, that's external, that's superficial, but their hearts, which is internal, are far from me. Now, Isaiah doesn't here mean their physical blood-pumping hearts, the old ticker. 
It's like if I told someone, oh, I love you with all of my heart. Yeah, I'm not saying I love you with both my right and left atrium and my right and left ventricle. He's saying, no, I love you with, I'm saying I love you with all of me. That's what Isaiah is talking about here in this quote when he refers to their hearts being far from God. God says through Isaiah, I know you can like sing your songs, I know you can say your prayers, that you can clap your hands and wave your arms in the air, but frankly, it's starting to really tick me off. And the reason isn't that it's not good stuff for you to be doing, but he says that Isaiah talks about you folk because although your lips are involved in worshipping me, your hearts are not. You see, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God isn't interested so much in someone's ability to speak, rather than he's concerned about their motivation for speaking. He doesn't care so much whether I get up here and teach the Bible with flamboyance, because I'm such a flamboyant guy, but he's concerned about whether I live and obey his word in private. And the Pharisees, they had it wrong. Pharisees actually always have it wrong. Anyone looking at these Pharisees from the outside would have thought, man, these guys really know God, yeah? After all, they're so serious about it. Look how many times they wash their hands, their kettles, they're shining, they're so clean. They must know God in a really special way. But actually, God says, no, they don't know me at all. They're hypocrites. Their religion is superficial and skin deep. I reckon it's a fair generalisation to make, but I reckon Australians hate hypocrites, yeah? You know that girl at school who, who was um, gossiping about your friend came up to you and said, oh, Sally, she's such a gossip. Let's talk about her for 10 minutes. Yeah, that's hypocritical. And if you've taken any notice of the news this week, you would have heard about Maria Sharapova, um, who admitted to using a drug that was banned, meldonium, during this year's Australian Open. Now, the jury isn't out yet about Maria Sharapova, but the jury is certainly out about one man, Lance Armstrong. We've definitely labelled him as a hypocrite. This is Lance Armstrong here, talking to Oprah. The winner of seven Tour de France's from 1999 to 2005, a survivor of cancer who came back from cancer to win the Tour de France in 2012 again. He was made to be a hero for overcoming cancer, praised for his determination and his strength, and he'd give motivational speeches, encouraging people to you know, pursue their dreams despite any obstacle in front of you. But then he was found to be doping and illegally taking erythropoietin, a performance-enhancing drug, to win the 2012 Tour de France. Yeah? This guy is the epitome of a hypocrite. And here's a quote from Lance on the screen. Before I had cancer, I just lived. Now I live strong. Yeah? That's really hypocritical, coming from a guy who was taking drugs for his whole career. You see, Jesus slammed religion that was superficial and religion that was hypocritical. Which brings me to the point of asking, am I showing hypocrisy in the way I live as a Christian? Or are you, if you're a Christian, someone who's trusted in Jesus for forgiveness, are you living a life that's hypocritical? You know, I lead one of our G teams, yeah? 
one of the groups that meet together to study the Bible before youth. If you haven't joined one, join them. They're, they're epic. But I'd, I'll admit, sometimes I can be very hypocritical in G-teams, yeah? We come together and we'll talk about, we talk about how we're going at reading the Bible, how we're going at sharing Jesus with our mates. Um, and I can give the impression that, that I'm doing pretty well at it, yeah? Whereas most of the time, I'm struggling just as much as the guys in my group are. And I'm a leader, I'm hypocritical. So let's challenge each other not to be hypocritical when we talk to each other about this stuff. Let's encourage each other to be honest and real. You see, superficial religion leads to superficial relationships. The Pharisees claimed to know God, but their hearts were actually far from him. They didn't know God at all. Do you know God? Now, that can be passed away as a pretty vague question. How can you really know God? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. And maybe I'll know him sometime in the future in heaven. But do you know God now? Do you know his character, what he's like, how he acts? His history of dealing with people right from the beginning of time. You see, God has revealed himself to us in his word, the Bible. And we can so often claim to love him and serve him but spend no time with him at all. Superficial religion leads to superficial relationships. All right, let's steam through, get to our second point. Jesus slammed religion that was man-made. So Jesus begins slamming the Pharisees for being skin deep and superficial, for being hypocritical, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on, he steps up for round two of Jesus versus religion. But how does he continue the smackdown? Have a look back at our quote from Isaiah in verse 7. He steps up for the second, for the second round of Jesus' first religion and he slams religion that is man-made. Take a look at verse 7. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus is saying here, this stuff that you guys do, you've just made up. What you do, how you live, it's not even legit. Washing your hands before you take a bite of breakfast isn't part of God's law. It's just a rule that you've made up, completely man-made. Like that law in Milan about smiling, it's made up and really pointless. But he takes it further and he gets personal. Track with me from verse 9. And he continued... You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God. So they're not even following God's commands at this stage. In order to observe your own traditions. So that's God's... Sorry, in order to observe your own traditions. And read on, sorry. Actually, this is where he gets personal. In verse 10, For Moses said, Honour your father and mother... And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. So that's God's command, yeah? To honour your father and mother and not curse them. But here's what the Pharisees have done in verse 11. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. So what are the Pharisees doing here? These guys are following this tradition called Corban. 
which is a bit weird to understand, but let's give it a go. Corban just means, if you have a look at it there in verse 11, something that's devoted to God, yeah? something that's set aside for God. So the Pharisees and the Jews would take something, whether it be money, animals, food, wine, something of value, and they'd set it aside for God, devote it to God, which was really good in theory, just like we might give money to mission stuff on Friday when we pass a bag around here. But the problem with what they were doing is they were being really strict with it. And the Pharisees were telling the Jews that, that they were to be doing it so much and they were giving so much stuff and devoting it to God that they would be, that they would be not using what they had to actually help their families. And they were taking it so far that they're actually going against God's commands, which was to honour their father and mother. I mean, this was getting pretty bad. Can you imagine that if today, and when we pass the bags around here at youth, yeah, one of you guys had $200,000, yeah? Bit of a stretch, but you had $200,000, um, and you'd be sitting, and you'd, you were going to put it in the, the bag as it went around, Yeah? But when you were doing that, meanwhile, your grandmother is sitting at home. She's 95. She can't walk anymore. She can't feed herself. She needs to be in a nursing home. Yep. Your family can't afford to put her in a nursing home. There's no longer any old age pensions. All you had was your $200,000 and you put it in the bag at youth. I mean, that's not really honouring your father and mother or honouring your family. Is that loving them? That's the sort of thing these Pharisees were encouraging. And that's the sort of man-made religion that Jesus slammed. You see, Jesus had come to tear down the religion that the Pharisees and the Jews had built up. Jesus came to slam their man-made religion. Which raises one question for me. If Jesus came to destroy religion, to tear it down... um, to tear down the idea that I can do stuff that's going to make me good with God, am I as a Christian, or are you as a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, are we trying to rebuild religion as a way of being good with God? You see, the fundamental message that Jesus brought was that it's him who makes us good with God. It's Jesus who brings us into relationship with God, There's nothing that we can do, no religion that we can build up, no traditions that we can follow that's going to make us right with God. So am I, or are you, holding on to something as a way of being good with God? It may be as simple as thinking, oh, look, if I turn up to to youth each week, if I turn up to G-teams, if I turn up to church, if I get involved in ministry, then God's going to look at that and he's going to be happy and I'm going to be good with God. None of them are going to make you good with God. Maybe for you it's your family. Um, You've belonged to a family that loves and serves God for most of your life and you've always just thought, well, that's going to be good enough. That's the family I'm in. But being part of a Christian family isn't going to make you good with God. It's another man-made religion. Maybe you've thought that any religion will get you there in the end. Yeah? Uh, it's, it's not so much which religion you follow, but more what sort of life that causes you to live. I'm just a good person 
who lives a good life. See, Jesus tore down religion as a way of getting good with God. Jesus himself is the only way to God. But Jesus didn't just come to tear down religion. Jesus came to do something actually far greater. And just before we finish, let's flick back to Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. If you read with me from verse 14... This is actually what Jesus came to do. It says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, Jesus didn't just come to tear down religion, to smash the Pharisees' religion. Jesus came to actually establish God's kingdom. Jesus came to preach that God was going to establish his rule and build a kingdom that was free from hypocrisy and free from superficial religion. God's kingdom is going to be established and it will be free from those things. How incredible is that? Jesus didn't just come to tear down religion, but he came to establish and build God's kingdom. A kingdom of people who have repented or turned away from ruling their own lives and have believed in Jesus, the King of God's kingdom. Which, which means one big thing, and we'll finish here. There are two kinds of people yeah, here tonight. People who live with Jesus as King, who are part of God's kingdom, a kingdom which will one day be free from hypocrisy, free from religion that's superficial or man-made. And there's people who reject Jesus as King. If you aren't part of God's kingdom, if you, if you aren't living with Jesus as king, then talk to someone about it tonight. Talk to myself, talk to Mike, to Jono, one of your leaders. See, being part of God's kingdom is the best thing that you can be part of. Or if you are a Christian, if you're part of God's kingdom, you're living with Jesus as king, remember that Jesus tore down religion to establish God's kingdom. So don't go about rebuilding man-made religion, thinking that you can do stuff in order to get good with God. Get rid of superficial religion, which leads to superficial relationships, and cling to Jesus, who is the king of God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which we've been able to read tonight and study it. Uh, Thank you for for Jesus who came not only to tear down religion as a way of getting right with you, but also um, to bring about your kingdom, to establish your kingdom. Father, we thank you for Jesus who who died for us and rose again uh, and now sits at your right hand as, as the king of your kingdom. Uh, we pray that, yeah, we pray that we'll be really thinking about this stuff for the rest of tonight um, and living in a way that, that responds to it rightly. Uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.